Good morning, Watermark. How are we doing today? Hey, it's, uh, it's good to see you. My name is Timothy Atik. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. If this is your first time here at Watermark, let me just say welcome. I am so glad that you made it. Uh, as I was preparing for this morning, I realized that there are things that certain people have said to me at different points in my life that have become sound bites in my mind that I have played at different moments over the span of years, and those sound bites have influenced how I view myself and how I actually live. And so I'll give you a couple examples. So for example, when I was younger, I was at the dentist's office, and the dental hygienist that was cleaning my teeth, she said this. She said, if your teeth were any whiter, you could read in the dark. And when she said that, I was so honored, and you combine that with my mom telling me that she thought I was photogenic, and I began to believe I'm a great picture taker. Like that's, I just really believe that. So anytime there was a photo op, if someone was like, smile, I was like, like I believed I can crush a picture. If you're looking to take one, I'm your guy. Like that's, that's my deal. Another time that someone said something that's just stuck with me over years and really influenced how I view myself and how I live was in college, this girl told me two things. Same girl. First thing she told me was, you don't look good in hats. The second thing she told me was, you could be a male model if it wasn't for your legs. So she said those two things. <laughs> and man, those things hurt. And they absolutely impacted the way I viewed myself, like I began to believe I'm not a hat guy, and clearly I'm not a shorts guy. So I guess swimming in jeans is my thing. And so truly, like I have not really worn hats much over the last two decades. And when it comes to shorts, it's kind of like a blood moon situation. Like if you're going to see me in shorts, like get your camera ready, because it doesn't come around very often unless it is blazing hot outside. And you're like, what's wrong with your legs? Well, I'm kind of like an orange on two toothpicks situation. But even more than that, and I'm going to show you this, and you're not going to be able to unsee it the rest of the talk. You probably aren't going to be able to see it from the stage, but I'm a little bow-legged. And so like, when I, if you put your feet together, your knees touch. Mine don't. Like this is, I'm trying, this is the closest my knees. That's it. Like this is it's my reality. So if it wasn't for this, I'd be a male model, but I'm not. Didn't work out. I wonder if there's anyone like that in your life. Like someone has said something, it's become a soundbite that you've rolled back through your mind. They didn't know it at the time when they said it, but man, it is shaped how you view yourself and how you live. That's a good like topic at lunch. Who was it and what did they say? Here's the reality. We, we all have a common voice in our lives. Like we all have a common voice that is speaking into our lives and whether you realize it or not, it is shaping how you view yourself and how you live. It's the voice of shame. 
Shame, whether you realize it or not, has been handed a microphone by each one of us. And shame has three sound bites that it puts on repeat in our lives. Some of us just are influenced by one of these sound bites. For others, it's two of them or all three of them. But here's the three sound bites of shame. The first one is, you're not who you should be. That's the first sound bite of shame. You're not who you should be. Another way of saying it is, you're a failure. You're defective. You're broken. The second soundbite of shame is, if they see all of you, they won't love you. Like if the people around you have the opportunity to see all of you, they won't love you. The third soundbite of shame is this, if God sees all of you, he can't love you. Those are the three soundbites of shame. Today, we're going to push back on them. As we step back into Genesis 3, we're going to see the three sound bites of shame. We're going to war against them, and we're going to pursue freedom, peace, and wholeness. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. If this is your first time around Watermark in a while, we're in a series through the first chapters of Genesis called Made. Right now, we're talking about being made for a different world. You have been made for a world without shame. So this place is not our home. And a day is coming where Jesus is going to make all things new. So we're looking at shame. If you remember last week, John talked about the, the fall of Adam and Eve, where they took the fruit, and that was the first rebel, rebellion of humankind against God. And, and this week and over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about the results of that decision. We're going to talk about the results of sin. The first result that shows up in the scriptures is that shame enters human experience. Here's what it says, Genesis chapter 3. Verses 7 through 11. Right after they ate the fruit, it says, Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The first soundbite of shame is this, you're not who you should be. Another way of putting it is, you're a failure, you're broken, you're defective. Where do we see that in Genesis chapter 3? Well, look back at verse 7. What does it say? It says, then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. That's the most important part of the verse. They knew that they were naked. The reason that that is so important is because it is a direct contrast to what we see at the very end of chapter 2, before the fall of mankind. God creates marriage and what does it say about Adam and Eve after God created marriage? In verse 25, it says, And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. God created Adam and Eve to be naked. He created them to live without a conscious awareness that they were naked or needed clothing. The fact that they were naked, the, the, the implication was that they were completely open to one another. They, they could completely trust one another. There was nothing to hide. They were fully known and, and fully loved. That is how God created Adam and Eve to be. And now we see that their eyes are open and they realize that they are naked. That is 
shame setting in. What shame is telling Adam and Eve is, hey, you're no longer who God made you to be. You're broken. You're defective. Something has changed. Remember, they ate fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Prior to eating the fruit, they only had a knowledge of good. Evil was just a word in the name of a tree. And when they ate the fruit, they gained a knowledge of evil. That evil wasn't something external, it was something internal. For the first time, Adam and Eve felt broken. They felt defective. That's why they began to clothe themselves because shame entered human experience and said, you need to hide. You need to cover. You are not who you should be. That's shame's anthem. Shame's anthem, shame's greatest hit is you are not who you should be. Now, I think it's important to draw a distinction between guilt and shame. Brene Brown, who is a research professor at the University of Houston, she's a best-selling author. She has done research on shame for the past two decades and does a really good job distinguishing between guilt and shame. She puts it this way. She says, shame is a focus on self. Guilt is a focus on behavior. Shame is I am bad. Guilt is I did something bad. Did you, do you see the difference there? Guilt is actually an important thing. Guilt can be a God thing. The Spirit of God will convict you and that will lead to guilt where you realize I've done something wrong. I have sinned against God. Guilt can be a good thing. It can be what God uses to draw you back into intimacy with Him. Shame actually has an important positive aspect to it in the sense that if you don't know Jesus Christ, there has to be a moment where you come to the realization that apart from Jesus Christ, you aren't just someone who sins, you are sinful. You are broken because your relationship with God is broken. There has to be an awareness that who you are puts you at odds with God. You sin because you're sinful. You're broken because your relationship with God is broken and you need to know the healer. When we talk about shame this morning though, I'm talking about the fact that we as followers of Jesus Christ know the healer and yet we still hand a microphone to shame. When Jesus Christ has made us new creations, we still hand a microphone to shame that's saying you're not who you should be. I remember a few years ago, my wife and I, we went to see a marriage counselor to just do some work on our marriage, and the, the counselor had us do this activity, uh, and this activity led me to realizing just some things that were off in my life, and what I realized was that I was living under a banner, and that banner was the banner of failure. Like I came to this realization in that counselor's office that failure was speaking over my life. And in the moment, I couldn't sit there and pinpoint like what was causing that, and I still don't know. It could have just been the accumulation of a bunch of small misses over time, misses as a father, as a husband, as a minister, as a follower of Jesus Christ, and just the cumulative effect of a bunch of misses led me to feel like a failure. 
It could be that I was giving myself over to the sin of comparison. You're like, comparison's a sin? Absolutely it is. When you are looking around you to determine your value instead of looking to Jesus to give you your value, that's a form of idolatry. And so it's possible that that, that sin was leading to feeling like a failure, or it could be just the lingering effects of a season earlier in my life. When I was an intern here at Watermark years ago, I had to step off of staff because of sin. And so it's possible you just take all those things together, you pull them all together, and the realization I had is that the banner over my life, at least in that moment, was failure. And I don't know if that resonates with you at all. Maybe you're sitting here this morning, you're like, that's me. Like when you, walk, when you woke up this morning, you hadn't even done anything yet, but you already felt behind in life. You already felt like you were lesser than and not enough. Maybe for you, it's just the cumulative effect of a bunch of small misses. For others of you, you would say, no, I know exactly what it is because there was one devastating decision. There was one devastating season. It was that relationship. It was that abortion. It was that divorce, it was that cut corner at work, it was that financial decision, it was that weekend away, it was that fight with that person. You can point to it and you're like, ever since that moment, that decision, shame has moved in and, and made itself at home and you really live under the ban banner of failure. You are defective, you're broken, you're not who you should be. I've used this story before within the past year to talk about shame. I'm going to share it again in case you weren't here or you've forgotten about it. I want to put the picture in your mind. But several years ago, some of our closest friends, Sterling and Natalie, bought a house. And at the back of the house was this one small room that had its own separate air conditioning unit. And that air conditioning unit was too big for that one room. So the air conditioning unit was overproducing. So moisture was growing on the inside of the unit and wasn't evaporating, so mold was growing on the inside of the air conditioning unit. The problem was that Natalie has a condition where her body struggles to eliminate toxins. So they had this air conditioning unit that was quietly operating in the background of their lives every day, all day, and without them knowing it, it was poisoning Natalie's body. Shame is the exact same way. Like we don't sit there, we don't wake up and be like, I am not who I should be. I am broken, I'm defective. We might not articulate that verbally, but, but that is quietly operating in the background of our lives. It's, it's impacting the atmosphere of our lives. It's shaping how we view ourselves. It's shaping how we live. That is... Shame's anthem, you are not who you should be. You are a failure, you are broken, you are defective. And that, that would be enough. If that's all shame said, that would be enough. That alone is the cause of many people's anxiety. That alone is what has driven some of you into a depression. That alone is what has caused some of you to contemplate taking your own life. And yet shame has more to say. There's a second soundbite to shame. The second soundbite to shame is this. If they see all of you, they won't love you. Like if other people, if they see all of you, they won't love you. Look back at verse 7. What does it say? 
It says, then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And what did they do? They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. I've asked Brown Brown and Rob Thomas to just give an example of what it would have looked like for Adam to be in a fig leaf. So, no, I'm just joking. That would be so inappropriate. <laughs> just joking. They are, that is not going to happen right now. But I want you to think about it. They, shame sets in. They realize that they are naked. And what is their response? It's to take God's creation and repurpose it. They repurpose it to hide themselves. And those fig leaves become barriers to intimacy with one another. Remember, God created them to be naked, to be fully known and fully loved. Nakedness was openness. It was trust. And now they are concealing themselves. And those fig leaves become barriers to intimacy. Those fig leaves are symbols of protection from one another. Do you remember what God said the consequence for sin would be back in Genesis chapter 2? Let me just read you what God said. Genesis 2 verse 16 and 17 says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day, in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Has that ever been confusing to you? That God says, in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die, and yet Adam and Eve didn't die. Does that mean that God was lying? Well, no, you just have to remember what death at its core is. Death at its core is separation. So when someone dies physically, their body separates from their soul. If someone is dead spiritually, their soul is separated from the love of God. In the day that they ate the fruit, what do we see? Separation between Adam and Eve. That's death. And we're about to see separation between Adam and Eve in God. In the day that they ate of the fruit, they began to taste death. This is, this is what shame does. Shame is what sustains the separation. As sin separates, Shame sustains the separation, okay? Shame's second soundbite is, if they see all of you, they won't love you. And we buy into that, and we believe that. And so what do we do? We create our own fig leaves. That's a good question for you to answer. What are your fig leaves? For some of us, it's, it's physical fitness or designer clothing. It's if you can perfect your external appearance, then people will think that you're good, you're fine, you're okay. For others, it's, it's workaholism, it's, it's success, it's accomplishment, it's, it's wealth. It's posting the best 15 seconds of your day on your Insta story. What, did it, what is it for you? Even coming to church, like we engage in the right Christian activities and we learn the right Christian lingo, the right sayings to say so that people can be like, oh, I guess they're good. It's just fig leaves. Even in a community group, I would imagine that there are people at this church that are in a community group and when you go to your community group and people ask you questions, you answer with a, with a certain vagueness and you answer in generalities 
so that people aren't exactly sure how you're doing, but they're left to assume that you are fine. I mean, think about it. To say that we're struggling with something once a month sounds a lot better than saying that we struggle with something once a week. To say that we struggle with lust sounds a lot better than saying, I'm looking at porn. Saying that I struggle occasionally sounds a lot better than struggling regularly. To say that you and your spouse are out of sync sounds a lot better than I'm contemplating divorced. Saying that you were over-served at happy hour sounds a lot better than saying I was intoxicated. You know what we're doing? We're, we're, we're spinning. We're, we're spinning. Why? It's fear. If they see all of me, they might not love me. These are our fig leaves. I was talking to a friend not too long ago. And I knew that things weren't okay, that things weren't going well. He was struggling. I said, man, how are you, how are you doing? He's like, man, I'm just living the dream. Just living the dream. It's fig leaves. I was talking to another friend not too long ago, and he was sharing that he was engaging in some unhealthy activity once or twice a week. And so I just said, hey man, let me ask you, are you spinning this in any way? Are you kind of polishing it up? Is, it, is there anything that you're not sharing? Like, is it more frequent? He's like, well, I mean, there's been a couple times where it was three to four times in a week. And the way he responded was defensive. It's like, okay, well, fine, if you're going to nitpick, I guess there was a couple weeks where it was three to four times. And I pressed him on it. I was like, man, you're being defensive. And as we processed it, do you know what we realized the issue was? It was fear. It was a fear of abandonment. It was a fear that if I saw him for all that he was, I would no longer love him. It's fig leaves. Shame says, if they see all of you, they won't, they won't love you. And so here's what we really want. What we want is to be partially known but fully loved. We don't want to be fully known. We want to be partially known, but we want to be fully loved. But that's not possible. Because if you're only partially known, people can only love the manufactured version of you that you give them. So you won't ever experience real love. You know what real love is? Real love is you sharing everything, the ugliest parts of you, embracing yourself for people abandoning you, and then you open your eyes, and they're still sitting right there. That's love. And you deserve that kind of love. Brene Brown goes on and says this, shame hates it, when we reach out and tell our story. It hates having words wrapped around it. It can't survive being shared. Shame loves secrecy. When we bury our story, the shame metastasizes. There's two guys in my life that have been some of my closest friends for decades now. And we've made an effort to connect once a week or Sometimes, some seasons, we've struggled to connect. Other times, we've been really consistent. But these guys know everything. So my wife knows everything. And then outside of my spouse, these guys are guys that have seen the worst parts of Timothy Atik. 
Like there are times where we have met together and I'm like, guys, I just need to share. I had this thought. This was the motive inside of my heart. I did this. I said this. And you know what the beautiful thing is? Is anytime I share, they're like, okay. Like they don't even flinch. And they're able to sit there and correct and encourage, but they don't flinch. They don't run because that, that's, that's the beauty of the gospel is that God has rescued us into his family and God uses his people to lift up his people. So I just want you to know you deserve, and I use that wording very carefully. I don't say you are required to share. I'm saying you deserve to be fully known and fully loved. Unfortunately, shame has more to say. The third soundbite of shame is this. If God sees all of you, he can't love you. If God sees all of you, he can't love you. Where am I getting this from? Well, look at verse 8. What does it say? It says, in they, that's Adam and Eve, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. So the fact that it says that they heard God walking in the garden, this is an illusion to the intimacy in the intimate fellowship that Adam and Eve had with God, that they would walk with him in the garden. When it says that they heard God walking in the cool of the day, that word cool in the Hebrew is the word ruach, which is translated wind or spirit. It's a symbol of God's presence in the garden. When Adam and Eve are aware of God's presence, what does it say they do? The man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. See, normally when they would hear God walking in the garden, they would run to him. And now we see because of sin, because of shame, they are running from him. And they're running towards the trees. We see fear show up for the first time. Verse 9, it says, But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid. That's new. That's the first time fear has ever entered into human experience. I was afraid. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So action motivated by fear cannot please God. And so sin, which brought shame, is now leading to fear. He was afraid. Why? Because he was naked. And he hid himself. So the thought is, if God sees all of me, He sees me uncovered. Now that I am aware that I'm not who I should be, I am broken, I am defective, I am a failure. If God sees all of me, he will not tolerate me. He will judge me. He will put me to death. He will not be able to love me. See, this is what shame does. Shame separates us from God, intimate fellowship with him. It drives a wedge between us. So Adam and Eve, what did they do? They ran for the trees. Isn't it interesting that it was a tree that brought sin? It was their interaction with a tree that led to sin. And then to run from God because of their sin, they ran to the trees. But the trees had been created by God. So think about Adam and Eve trying to hide from God in the trees that he created. I'll explain it this way. So just a few days ago, my five-year-old Jake wanted to play uh, hide-and-go-seek with me in the house. 
And Jake hasn't fully grasped on to the reality that when you play hide-and-go-seek, the, the point of the game is to hide so that you can't be found. And he wanted me to be the counter. We're sitting in our living room, and I begin to count, and then he interrupts me uh, because he needs my help hiding. So there's, uh, there's this chest on the ground in our living room that has a lid, and we have our blankets in it. So Jake is like trying to get into the chest and close the lid, but he, it doesn't work. So he stops me counting, and he wants me to walk over to close the lid for him to hide so that I can go back to counting. And then he realizes there's too many blankets in there. It won't close completely, so he abandons it altogether. But I'm sitting there, and I'm like, I can see you. Like, I'm, I'm right here. And I just wonder if God was the same way. Like, Adam and Eve are running to the trees that God made. I think God's like, I'm right here. It's like, a, it's like a, when you're changing a baby on the changing table, if you, if you put a blanket over their eyes, they think that they're invisible. You can put a blanket over their eyes and be like, where'd you go? They start giggling, and then you pull it away. It's like, there you are. They genuinely think like, this is incredible. <laughs> like, Dad can't see me. Adam and Eve are like a fig. Fig leaf isn't going to do it. Let's go for the trees. God sees. He sees everything. And yet, we believe the lie that if maybe God doesn't see and so we get our own trees. What are our trees? Busyness. Like if I just distract myself, if I'm, if I'm busy enough to think about it, then God's not thinking about it. If I entertain myself enough, if I just binge something and zone out, then God zones out. If I numb myself with a the substance, then God is numb to me. You know what I think? God's like, I, I'm right, I'm right here. So I just, I want to just invite you real quick to close your eyes. Okay, just, if you will, close your eyes. If you don't close them, you and I are just going to have an awkward staring contest. But I just want you to think that you and I, we're that, we're that baby putting the blanket over our eyes. God sees everything. He sees you. He sees all of your sin. What is God's disposition to you right now? How does God feel about you? How does God feel about your sin? Maybe something in you knows that God sees and you've been trying to resist the fact that if, if he does see, then the fear is that he'll judge you, he won't love you, and he'll just be super disappointed. What I want to do is I want to invite you to open your eyes and to see how God responds to Adam and Eve. Because God never changes. So the way he responded to Adam and Eve is the way that he responds to us. This should inform how you process the soundbite of shame that says if God sees you, he can't love you. Verse 8 told us that God was walking in the garden. We need to understand that God's not just out on a stroll. 
He's actually coming for Adam and Eve. He's pursuing them. He's, he's initiating with them. God in his love for Adam and Eve is coming to them, even in the midst of their sin. So you just need to know that your God in heaven is a heavenly father who loves you and comes after you. He chases after you. He pursues you and initiates with you all in love. Like the fact that some of you are here today Dealing with the sin that you're dealing with, you need to know that God in his kindness and his love has brought you here because he is pursuing you. And when he sees them, what happens in verse 9? It says, but the Lord God called to the man, and what did he say? He said, where are you? It's a question. One commentator put it so well. He said, God models justice. He doesn't pass a sentence Without an investigation, the just king will not pass sentence without careful investigation. Isn't that amazing? God knows everything. He has all the, all the knowledge that he needs of your sin in mind to not just accuse but to annihilate. That's what he could have done with Adam and Eve. Instead, what does he do? He questions them. Why? Because in his kindness, in his gentleness, in his love, he is giving Adam and Eve an opportunity to acknowledge their sin before them because change cannot happen, healing cannot happen if you won't first confess your sin to God. And so maybe you're sitting there right now and you're feeling convicted. That is the Spirit of God at work in you, not accusing you, but just prompting you, saying, come back to God. God loves you. Don't ignore him. He sees all of you. And yet he, he loves you. Verse 11. God says, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? I love the question. Who, who told you? Who told you? You know what God's saying? He's saying, look, I'm the only voice that you should be listening to. But apparently... There's another voice at play, whether it's the voice of the enemy or just the voice of shame saying, you're naked, you need to hide, you're no longer who you should be. It is God's grace and his kindness that he is now once again speaking to Adam and Eve. By doing that, God once again is putting them back in line with his love simply by speaking because it is his voice in his words that bring life. Are there consequences for Adam and Eve's sin? Yes. And we're going to see those in the coming weeks. And yet, even with the consequences, what does God do in verse 21? What does it say? It says, and the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Isn't that interesting? Like Adam and Eve, they tried to deal with their shame on their own. They grabbed fig leaves and they tried to cover themselves up. God knows that man is incapable of dealing with their shame in their own effort. You just need to know you can try a lot of things. You can busy yourself. You can entertain yourself. You can numb yourself. But nothing will put the voice of shame on mute permanently except for Jesus Christ. What does God do when he clothes Adam and Eve? He, he kills an animal. He takes the skin of the animal and he makes them coverings that extend to their knees or to their ankles. What is God doing? He is doing what needs to be done for Adam and Eve to be able to continue in relationship with him. 
That's the kindness of God, that even in the midst of their sin, he doesn't reject them completely, but provides for them so that they can continue in relationship with one another. And God does the same thing for you and for me in the person of Jesus Christ. What am I talking about? Well, you have to see Romans 5. Because Romans chapter 5 and Genesis chapter 3 go hand in hand. The gospel is the antidote to your shame. Look at what Romans chapter 5 tells us in verse 15. It says, but there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But an even greater, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. Did you see what it says? It says, the sin of this one man, Adam, it brought death. That's what we're talking about. We've seen death at work. That what does death do? Death separates. We saw death separate Adam and Eve. We saw death separate Adam and Eve from God. We ourselves have experienced that death. We experience separation from one another and from God. But verse 16 goes on and says this, the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. So watch what this is saying. It's saying that Adam's sin, it led to condemnation. It led to death. Death, produced by sin, brought about shame. And so shame is on repeat in our lives, saying you're not who you should be. If they see you, they can't love you. They won't love you. If God sees you, he won't love you. And yet God's free gift. What's God's free gift? It is nothing less than God himself in the person of Jesus Christ leaving heaven, coming to earth, getting on the cross to deal with all of our sin and all of our shame, rising from the dead, dealing with all of our sin and all of our shame so that through faith in him, what happens? What did the end of verse 16 say? It says that the free gift leads to what? To our being made right with God. Even though we're guilty of many sins, this is the beauty of the gospel, that it is possible for you and for me to be guilty of many sins, and yet God's grace is greater. Jesus' cross is greater. Jesus' blood is greater. It is able to cover over. It is able to to wash clean and make a way for you and for me to be, to be right with God. And so let me just say this. The longer that we hand the microphone to shame, you know what we're doing is we are putting on mute the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Shame's message to us is you failed You're a failure. You know what the reality is? You are a failure. I am a failure. Jesus doesn't disagree. Jesus would say we have failed. We are failures. That is our story. But it's not the end of our story. Because Jesus has come and he's made a way. He has taken our story of failure and traded it for his story of forgiveness. So that shame doesn't have to have the final word in your life. 
will you choose to look to the cross and the empty tomb to tell you what is most true? You're not who you should be, yeah, but Jesus Christ, by the power of his spirit, is at work. He's doing a good work at you, and he's making you more like himself. If they see you, they won't love you. Well, that's a lie, because God's grace is greater, and you deserve to be fully known and fully loved because Jesus Christ has brought you into the family of God, and he uses his people to lift up his people. If God sees all of you, he can't love you. He does see you, and he still wants you. And he gave his son to have you. Would you believe it? Would you come? Would you leave here today free from shame? Because Jesus Christ is greater. His grace is greater for you and for me. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you know the shame that's in this room right now. God, you know who came here this morning feeling like a failure, feeling defective. And God, we can try all we want to try and cover over our shame with the fig leaves that we put together, but in the end, nothing is enough except you, Lord Jesus. So we come to you. We, we run to you this morning. I just pray that you'd have your way in our lives. I pray, God, that even today we would share with others and we would experience feeling fully known and fully loved. And I pray that today we would live under the reality that you don't need us, but you want us. So I just thank you that you're a perfect father, that you've sent your son to deal with our shame. We need you. We love you. In Jesus' name.